And the aim of the exercise is, everybody, to re-educate re is a bad word because usually re-education is what you do if you, what you get if you love Jesus and you want to serve him with all your heart. And uh, the people in authority, the responsible people, recognize that something is wrong with you. So they send you to a camp for re-education. But that does not mean that re-education has to be a bad thing. So we are going to attempt some re-education. But it is for a specific group. It is not for the godly and holy, necessarily. Who is it for? Who is it for? The athletic types, the guys who are on low-protein, high-carbohydrate diets and, you know, tofu and garbanzos and go to bed at 9 and wake up at 5 and go for a jog 3 miles every morning or, you know, 10 miles or whatever. And why is this re-education necessary? Because fitness is not everything. Fitness is not everything. Let's read our scripture reading together. It's an astonishing verse. And I'll keep saying that because it is an astonishing verse. What does it say, everybody? And Ahimeaz answered, When Joab sent the king's servant and your servant, I saw a great tumult, but I didn't know what it was. What's your summary? Be sure you know what to say. Be sure you know what to say. Let us pray. Thank you, O oh wonderful Heavenly Daddy, for putting words on our lips because you have put something in our heart. Something unmistakable. So that when we are asked a reason, we can answer with reverence and godly fear and focus. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. In those days when the NBA stood for nothing more and nothing less than East versus West and Magic versus a bird named Larry and the Celtics against the Lakers, when Boston and L.A. time and again, year after year, clashed in the national championships of the National Basketball Association. James Worthy, who I am told 
is and was a minister. He was playing basketball at the time. I think after he retired, he stayed with ministry. He left basketball and stayed with ministry. But I didn't know anything about that when I heard him answer in this interview. James Worthy, who was described as consistently being half a step ahead of the Celtics defense, was asked, you guys are the Giants, the Celtics, and the Lakers. How come in two games you have demolished the, Lake, the Celtics by a total of 40 points? This was supposed to be a contest. And in the first game, they vanquished the Celtics by 22, and the second game by 18. And somebody asked James Worthy, and he replied with two words. He could have said one thing. What he said was totally focused. How can you do that? His reply was, totally focused. Ahimez was an athlete too. Second Samuel, which of course comes after. First Samuel, chapter 18 and verse 19. Chapter 18 is before chapter 19. And verse 19 after verse 18. Second Samuel 18 19 to 23. Why do you do this? Because it is not a show. Remember that, my sisters and brothers. You don't cite a text and carry on because you are a spectacle people are paying attention to. They come to the house of God to worship, point them to the word of God, and insist by your deliberate delays that they get time to find the text. Well, you didn't bring your Bibles. But 2 Samuel 18, verses 19 through 23, follow me. Ahimeaz, the son of Zadok, said, please let me run and bring the king news. But Joab said to him, you are not the man to carry news this day. And Joab said to the Cushite, go tell the king what you have seen. So the Cushite bowed to Joab and ran. Now Ahimeaz, the son of Zadok, said once more to Joab, but whatever happens, please let me also run after the Cushite. Joab said, why? Whatever happens, he said, I will run. So he said to him, run. Then Ahimeaz ran by the way of the plain and passed up the Cushite. Ahimeaz clearly knew he could run. Who was Ahimeaz? Well, let's take a few points on Ahimeaz. Ahimeaz, number one, was a spiritually connected young man. His father was the director of the... His father was the high priest. And... Uh, he and his father lived on the campus. He hadn't wandered off to join a rock band and smoke pot. 
He was also a politically connected young man. His father had stayed on Jesus, on, on David's side. And he had stayed with his father. He was a politically invested young man. He wasn't just on Jesus' side and working on, on David's side. He was on the inside of the operation. He worked at the lifestyle. He, he, he was a part of David's spy network. He was really on the inside. The place was crawling with spies and messengers and informants, guys looking like vagabonds and girls looking like they were just pretty girls out for an afternoon stroll. And Ahimias was a runner. No, no, not just an athlete runner. Ahimias was a runner. Somebody hanging around the streets and the pretty girl goes by and he calls out to her and says hi and she notices him and he crosses the street and she stands there and they chat for a while looking over their shoulders sometimes and she says, TTYL, and Ahimias is gone, dodging bullets, hiding down in a well shaft with a rug spread across its opening and corn sprinkled on the rug to dry because Absalom's people have picked up on the contact between Ahimias and the pretty girl, and now they are hunting him down. Ahimias has rebelled and installed himself as king in Jerusalem, and David has fled the city, and David has set up his network. And Ahimeaz is part of the network. But Absalom also has his network. And Absalom's people realize that that girl and that guy who were chatting on the corner are in David's thing. Because the word gets to Absalom. And so now they got to find Ahimeas. And Ahimeas is down a well shaft. And there's a rug spread across the top of the shaft. And there's corn drying on the rug. And there's a woman upstairs there lying to save his skin. Oh yeah, we saw them. You know, somebody comes up and flashes her a photograph. Yeah, yeah, we saw these guys. We know them. You can still catch them quickly. They went across the river. And so they cross the river quickly and search and search. And when she knows that they have come back across the river and gone back to Jerusalem and not found anything, she moves the rug, picks up her corn and moves the rug and calls down the shaft, come up guys. And they come up and they're off to find David. David could have been dead if it hadn't been for Absalom because David gets to, gets to hear from Absalom's lips what is going on in Jerusalem. Ahimeas tells David what Ahithophel, and the Bible says, Ahithophel's counsel was like the counsel of God. Actually, it didn't mean that his counsel was godly. 
It meant whatever Ahithophel said was the right thing. If you needed a way to kill somebody and you asked Ahithophel, he knew how to tell you how to do it and get off scot-free. And he knew how to get rid of David, the man he had served as king. And so he told Absalom. And Ahimeas got it from the girl and took it to David. He said, David, don't stay on this side of the river because Ahithophel had said, give me 12,000 men and we're going to hit them tonight. David, Ahimea said, you get out of here. And by, 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 by morning, there was not a single one of David's troops that was on that side of the river. Thanks to Ahimeas. Ahimeas was invested in the operation. He wasn't just hanging around and saying hi to the students when they registered. What are you doing? Oh, I came to get some LE courses down under my belt. And you, oh, I'm doing the LC stuff. And, uh, what you, oh, I'm work-study. I haven't decided yet exactly, but... Ahimeas was a participant. He was working. He was helping mommy and daddy. He was working hard. His life was in this enterprise. So, when the battle was over and it was time to tell the king his army had been victorious, Ahimeas naturally wanted to keep on running. This was his two jobs, running, running the lines to spread the news, and running, running hard, and running far, and running fast. I've been thinking about the Himyas' qualities, and it strikes me that one might mention at least five. There are certainly more, but I'll just mention five. Number one, Ahimeas had a calling. First, second Samuel 15. Second Samuel 15, verse 27. The king. Who did I say? The king. The king said also to Zadok the priest, return to the city and your two sons with you. Uh, did I hear some pages turning? 2 Samuel 15, 27. I sort of assumed I could move along because, but I don't want to be unfair to anyone who is actually minding the text. 2 Samuel 15, 27. The king also said to Zadok the priest, return to the city and your two sons with you, your son Ahimeas and Jonathan the son of Abiathar. See, I'm going to wait at the fords of the wilderness until word comes from you to inform me. So the king himself names Ahimeas. He didn't just volunteer. He was selected. God, I mean, the king called him by name. What else? Ahimeas had zeal, enthusiasm. You could tell. We already sort of described who he was, and you could tell from that that, you know, kind of the, what's the name of the guy who came up here last night? And Craig said, can you imagine if he actually used coffee? Uh, yeah. Jeremy. Jeremy. Or the other one, Jose. Yeah, Jose. Either one of them. Either one of them. <laughs> what else did Ahimeas have beside a calling and zeal? He had conditioning. 
Second Samuel 18, 23, we already read, Ahimeas ran by the way of the plain and passed up the Cushite. My daddy was a preacher and he loved this story. He loved this story. I don't know what, the, my, I mean, it was, the, it was the boy in him about kids in a race. And I remember this story as my father's story. And Ahimeas ran by the way of the plain and outran Cushai. Ahimeas didn't gorge on protein. He was into low protein, tofu, garbanzos, bean sprouts, and high carbohydrates. And Ahimeas had the health message and he made it work. He drained eight tumblers of pure Adam's ale per day, at least. He went to bed at nine and woke up at five and when I was a kid in high school a long, long, long time ago. That wasn't long enough? Okay, a long. <laughs> One of my colleagues, 17-year-old kid, announced to his friends, and I overheard it, I really wasn't on that in crowd, but I heard him telling them, he was done with carousing. He wouldn't smoke anymore. No more late nights, drinking, parties. He discovered when he was about 16 that he was a gifted athlete. He, people had known something about it, but something happened when he got to be about 16. 16, 17. And at the age of 17, he represented his country. I don't mean running with the under-17s in some international teenage competition. He became a top flight sprint. Of course, it was Guyana. 750,000 people in the whole of Guyana. You know. But he became a top flight sprinter at the age of 17 and represented Guyana at the nationals. He had the health message. Fitness is not everything. Fitness is not everything. Seventh-day Adventists are not the only people in the universe who have some idea about taking good care of their bodies. Ahimeas had the health message, and he had focus. Don't tell me Ahimeas did not have focus. Ahimeas knew what he wanted to do. He wanted the king's side to win, and once it was clear that they had won, he wanted to be the one to let the king know he wanted to run. And this is for me perhaps the most perplexing detail of this story. Verses 19 through 29. Verse 19. Well, Ahimeas the son of Zadok said, Please let me run and bring the king news that the Lord has freed him from the hand of of his enemies. 
And then verse 29. It's a long story. David asks, Is it well with the young man Absalom? And Joab says, I saw a great multitude, but I didn't know what it was. The perplexing thing about it is that when he asked to run, Joab said, You are not the man to carry news this day because the king's son is dead. That's what Joab says to Ahimeas. You can't be messenger today because the king's son is dead. The reason I am so perplexed, the reason why I cannot understand the climax of the story is because of these six words. More like three in Hebrew. My wife is here so I can use a few Hebrew words. I told them yesterday that you said sometimes I should use it because it benefits the presentation. But I don't have to do it because you're not here. Now you are here. So, ki al ben hamelek mate. You know, more like three words in the Hebrew. We'll have to come back to these words. These six words. Ahimeas had relevance. The king himself, the entire nation, was interested in health. The president's wife had a program called, let's, what I'm, I'm, I'm getting my notes mixed up. The king himself, as well as the entire nation, was interested in battle news. And Ahimeas wanted to take the news that people needed to hear. And yet... The king says in verse 23, is it well with the young man Absalom? And Ahimeas answers, when Joab sent the king's servant and your servant, I saw a great tumult, but I did not know what it was. Ahimeas flattered to deceive. He ran because he was a runner. He ran because he was fit. He was so gifted a runner and so fit and conditioned, he outstripped the Cushite sent ahead of him. Reference to, by the way of the plane, suggests that perhaps he knew ways of getting through that the Cushite didn't even know about. But when he got where he was supposed to be going, he did not know what to say. And that profoundly amazes and bewilders me. How could he not know the answer to the king's question? Joab had told him, you are not running today because the king's son is dead. He gets to the king and the king says, how is it with my son? And I, 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 I can't really tell you what, what, what was going on. Really? Young man, young woman, kid at Harvard Hills or wherever, 
Whichever OCI operation you are at because daddy is in charge. Spouse who is there accompanying somebody on whose heart God has laid a burden. Student at Black Hills or Wildwood or Uchi Pines or wherever, brother, sister, friend of mine present today, do you think it's possible to be right in the midst of this glorious, powerful, world-changing movement and still not know what really is going on? Did you get the health message? Of course you did. You have to eat it morning, noon, and night, except in Colorado, of course. You better settle for your two meals because there's no third one in the offing. You get the health message. But do you know what's going on? You understand about lifestyle. You do massages and get paid to do them. But do you understand what is going on? Fitness is not everything, folks. Massages and hydrotherapy and tofu are not everything. Coming to these schools to get trained, to get a job and have a life work is not everything. Do you know what really is going on? Because what is going on with OCI is vastly more than Riverside Farms and 2,000 sheep at Kibidula and 8,000 kids getting breakfast every morning in Asia. It's gloriously more than operationalizing a dream that you call Vida Internacional in El Suyatal, Honduras, or Centro Misionero de Salud in Galeana, Mexico. There are people here from Galeana. Galeana is very dear to our hearts. It's infinitely more than all the lifestyle centers we will ever construct in Uchi Pines and Wildwood and Norway and Jakarta, Indonesia and Almaty, Kazakhstan and everywhere else besides. Do you know what is going on? If anybody asks you, what are you up to? Can you give a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and godly fear? Or is your own wonderful reality you could claim as your own passing you by even when people all around you are living it and loving it and shouting it into your ear in class, in the cafeteria, in the work-study programs and at the OCI retreats? I have an idea, a little idea, how it could be that Ahimeas never heard what Joab said to him, because I fly. Do you ever pay attention when they say, please pay attention now, we're going to tell you what to do if the plane starts going down, or if it comes down on the water. Planes do come down. Well, they don't tell you what to do if the plane disappears. <laughs> Do you ever pay attention when they specifically ask you to? Talk about focus. Philippians 3, 3 through 14. This morning, 
when Alastair said, let's turn to Philippians 3, I heard my voice involuntarily come out of me and say, no, I don't know if people next to me heard <laughs> Because I'm going to be preaching this afternoon on Philippians 3, but he has an advantage because he preaches at 7 o'clock in the morning. <laughs> For we are the true circumcision who worship in the spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Although I myself might have confidence even in the flesh. Well, you heard it this morning. So let's not bore you with the repetition, though it does appear the spirit thinks we need the repetition. Four things Paul had. Paul had class. He started off with rank. Verse 5, circumcised the eighth day of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin. You know why he would mention the tribe of Benjamin? That was the first tribe to name royalty in, nation, in the nation of Israel. I'm from Benjamin. As to the law... A Pharisee, Josephus says there were about 6,000 Pharisees in Jesus' time. They numbered more than the Sadducees. And they were the most powerful, not only numerically, but influentially speaking, on the people. I belonged to the majority group. And I belonged to the elite within that majority group. Paul had class. He started off with rank. Paul had drama. Verse 6, as to zeal. A persecutor of the church. Paul used to be bad. I was telling folks I was eating with today, thanks to the kindness of Julie. As we ate today, I was telling them this. Growing up Adventist and a preacher's kid, I used to wish that I could have a dramatic experience. Going to college and studying Preparing for service. I used to wish. Graduating into ministry and starting my ministry, I still had vestiges of that wish. Because, you know, if you have a story, you used to smoke pot and your hair was long down to your bum and you had been to half a dozen different countries and uh, you'd actually hustled for a while, you know. I don't know if you know what hustling is. But... And then the Holy Spirit laid hold of you and converted you and you stopped running drugs. And it's easier to preach because that's all you have to say. And people invite you here, there, and everywhere else to tell your conversion story. I used to wish I had a, a story to tell. Like Jose. No, I'm sorry, sorry. That's, that's the bad thing. No. Jose does have a wonderful conversion story. He told you it last night. But it didn't include... Uh, some of the elements I just mentioned, so my, my, my apologies, Jose. I used to wish I had a dramatic story to tell. Paul had a story to tell. Paul used to be bad. I mean, Paul was bad. What else? Number three, Paul had experience. Paul earned his stripes. Are they servants of Christ? I speak as if insane, I more so, in far more labors, in far more imprisonments, 
beaten times without number, often in danger of death, five times I received from the Jews 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods, once I was stoned, three times I was shipped. By the way, you need to know that this litany took place before he got arrested in Jerusalem and then eventually was taken to Rome and on the way to Rome ended up in another shipwreck. So the numbers here are not the full story of the brutalization that Paul experienced for the sake of Christ. I've been on frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own countrymen, dangers from the Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers on the sea, dangers among false brethren. I have been in labor and hardship through many sleepless nights, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. And apart from those external things, there is the daily pressure upon me of concern for all the churches. Paul was a self-supporting missionary before anyone had ever heard of it. Paul single-handedly was OCI for the entire apostolic church. <laughs> Paul was Mikuyu and Kibidula and Paul was uh, Madison and Paul was uh, Wildwood and Paul was Oakhaven. There are folks here from Oakhaven too in Michigan. We used to go there to buy granola and stuff. There. <laughs> Paul earned his stripes. Paul, too, number four, had focus. Well, there's a difference between Paul's focus and Ahimia's focus. Ahimia's focus was defined by Ahimia's. I want to do this. Paul was defined by his focus, and his focus was outside of him. Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet, but one thing I do. In the King James Version, it takes six words, but this one thing I do. In the Greek, it takes four letters, four letters, two words of two letters each with a rough breathing mark. Hende. And even though you can say the same thing, but this one thing I do, there is something about the Greek that sounds more focused. Hende. So now we've also used a little Greek. Do you know what's going on? Ask Paul. Can you answer the question that matters? You better do, my sister. Please do, my brother. Make sure you know what to say. Paul did. We've looked at four things Paul had, and the most compelling of all is focus. He had class, and he had drama, and he had experience. And he had focus. His faith was focused. First Timothy 1.12 I know whom I have believed. Do you? Or is it I know what I believe in. I believe in massages. And vitamin B. 
and kale chips. <laughs> I know whom I have believed. And he knew what to say. His message was supremely focused. 1 Corinthians 1, 11 to 13. I've been informed concerning you, my brethren. 1 Corinthians 1, 11 through 13. I have been informed concerning you, my brethren, by Chloe's people. 1 Corinthians 1, 11 through 13. For I have been informed concerning you, my brethren, by Chloe's people, that there are quarrels among you. Now, I mean this, that each one of you is saying, I am of amazing facts, and I am of Mark Finley, and I am of Adventist Frontier Missions, and I, has Christ been divided That's Paul's question. I'm not making that up. The rest of it, yes. <laughs> this week has been an eye-opener for me. I've been in the company of beautiful people. There's a beautiful spirit, and you do wonderful work. Listening to those reports from night to night just boggles your mind as it thrills your soul. I don't know if it's possible for people of such wondrous spiritual beauty and charm to have any tensions among you. What are you laughing at? <laughs> but some of you have mentioned that you are aware that there are some sort of tensions, I don't know if that's the right word, between the feel of self-supporting work and the conventional church structure. So I ask you the same question. Is Christ divided? Are we going to do two or several different things or can we say all of us together in chorus with Paul, Hemde? And that does not include any personal pronoun. Neither in the singular nor the plural nor the plural. It's not first, second, or third person. That would include and expose us to at least six options. I, you, well, let's say eight, because in English we distinguish between he and she. I, you, he, she, well, seven. We, you, they. Yeah, I'm mathematically challenged. <laughs> but hen doesn't have any reference to I, you, he, she, we, they, or you, plural. Actually, it is six, because it's you and you, or thou and thee. Hende literally would be translated but one. And it would do the Greek no violence 
And it would do the Spirit of God no harm if every single soul seated in this congregation and those who are still on their way and those who have never heard of OCI but are working for Jesus somewhere that we all with one solid voice just rang it out in the ears of the devil. Hende! First Corinthians 2, 2 is Paul's answer. He knows what to say. And what is it? First Corinthians 2, 2. He's doing one thing. And we can join him and say, we are doing one thing. What is it? I determine to know nothing among you. Except... Jesus Christ and him crucified. One thing. Jesus Christ and him crucified. Paul knew what to say. Jesus Christ and him crucified. God grant that in the end we know and are determined to declare together in word and deed and attitude that we are all about one thing. Jesus Christ and him crucified. Somebody asked me a question today. And you heard my answer Eddie. He didn't know it was in the notes. Somebody asked me today. And Eddie was there. I heard about. The one project. He said. Can you tell me about the one project? So I said, well, I have never been there. Can you tell me about the one project? And he started to tell me how dangerous and perilous and very liberal it was. And they're saying Jesus is all. And that means that they're despising doctrine. And I said to him, if a Pentecostal preacher says Jesus is all, I know where he's going with that. But if a Seventh-day Adventist minister is bringing his people into the church of God on the seventh day of the week to worship according to the commandments and is telling them, Jesus is all the world to me, my life, my joy, my all. He is my life from day to day. Without him, I would fall. Without him, I can do nothing. Glory to God for such a minister of the gospel. That is the gospel. Jesus is all. And then I told him of an illustration I had heard to answer people who think it's Jesus versus doctrine. I was in a committee and uh, somebody, I, I don't know what, what had bothered this dear soul, university professor, Adventist institution. I don't know what troubled her before or just before the committee meeting or something that had been bothering her for a long time. But she just blurted out this doctrine, doctrine, doctrine. It's about Jesus. And somebody else on the committee took his time and told her a story about this guy who used to do Bible studies. And had this way of doing the Bible studies by giving the people cardboard cutouts with a word or a phrase written on them. Justification by faith or the Trinity or the investigative judgment or, you know. And this is what we're going to study tonight. This is what we're going to study now. And then at the climax, the cardboard cutouts were of different shapes. So he suggested 
that they could put them together, see what they could make of it. And it turned out that some were in the shape of an arm and some in the shape of a hand, some a leg, some a foot, some a torso, one uh, in the shape of a head. And then he suggested that they carefully turn over all the pieces. And it turns out that on the one side you had all the doctrines written out and on the other side there was the face of Jesus. We do not believe in a gospel that adds the Sabbath to Jesus or adds the state of the dead to Jesus or adds stewardship to Jesus or adds or subtracts the health message from or to Jesus. We believe in Jesus. Do you know what is going on? Do you know what is going on with OCI and what is going on with AFM? Do you know what is going on with Cheryl Doss and the Institute for World Mission? Do you know what is going on at the Adventist Review and Adventist World? It is Jesus Christ and Him crucified being lifted up for the world that the world may know that we have a Savior because it does not matter how masochistic your massage may be. You know, the more it hurts, the better. Isn't that? It, it, it. And how unpalatable your oral administrations may be, because the bitter, the better. If all we can do is prepare people to be put into a box in a hole in the ground, we are of all humanity most miserable. But if we can lift up Jesus Christ and him crucified, the one who celebrates for us and through whom we celebrate victory over death and the grave and the guarantee of life eternal when the trumpet sounds and the dead shall be raised incorruptible and we shall all be changed, then we have a message for humanity. Paul knew what to say. Jesus Christ... And him crucified, I have one last quotation for you, contrary to Naomi's instruction. She said, you can find it on your cell phone, but this is the last one I'm doing, so everybody read this together. If Christians were to act in concert, moving forward as one, under the direction of one power, for the accomplishment of one purpose, they would move the world. You want to move the world? Make sure you know what to say. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.com dot org.